0: Heavenly Father, thank you that you are gracious and compassionate. You are the God who uh, removes the sins of his people as far as the east is from the west. We've done that through the Lord Jesus. You are powerful to turn lives upside down. Thank you that you show us that in miniature for Hannah. You show us uh, what you do for your people everywhere across time. And so we ask that as we think about her story... (laughs) you might show us more of the great story of your work and how we can fold our stories into yours. Amen. Uh, let me introduce you to Hannah. Uh, Hannah's life is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the story that she would have written as a young woman. Things haven't really turned out the way that she'd hoped. Uh, she comes from a sort of provincial back wall, so a bit of a nowhere place, really, Ephraim, right about Bethlehem way. Uh, as a young woman, she, she married a guy, Alkanah. Uh, outwardly, pretty unremarkable. He's a godly guy, a man of faith. He's trying to lead his family in that faith, but as the world looks at him, he's not particularly impressive. He loves his wife, but in the eyes of the world, uh, he's just a guy. And so out of these... Uh, humble beginnings, where does Hannah's life go? Well, downhill. Not the way she would have hoped. See, Hannah, it turns out, couldn't have children. And to provide for an heir, Alkanah took uh, another wife, and and she had many. And so things just got harder for Hannah. Her life is a disappointment. Her story is not the one she would have written for herself pick things up in uh, verse 3. We'll find a bit more. Her life, it seems, is stuck in a rut. Year by year, we're told it's the same. So the family makes its pilgrimage to at worship and sacrifice at Shiloh. That's an annual event. Verse 4, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he'd give the portions of meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. And after that job of sharing it out between all of them, he turned to Hannah. And there was no j- job of sharing to be done for her. So to soften the blow, well, he'd give her a, a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Uh, but from there, well, it only got harder. Because to the pain of childlessness, it added the taunts then of her rival. Can imagine what they might have been. Where's your blessing, Hannah? If God really loved you, wouldn't he give you the children that you crave? If God really loved you, wouldn't your life be different to this? Wouldn't your story be different if God loved you? Implication being, well, because this is your story, God doesn't love you. Well, if he does, he's not able to do anything about your story. He's not worth bothering with. And we see Hannah's not immune from these talks. Verse 7 This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until so she wept and she wouldn't eat. Distress stops her even participating. In the sacrificial meal. Doubtless she feels even more left out for that. Hannah's life's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the story she would have written. Now Hannah's lived 3,000 years ago just outside Bethlehem, but we all know Hannah's in different ways. Many of us here are Hannah's in the sense that we know that our lives are not the way they're supposed to be. They're not the way we maybe planned them. They're not the stories we would have written for ourselves. Uh, Maybe there are obvious kind of public disappointments or or shames that we know of and other people can support us in. Maybe they're more solitary private things. Nobody knows. But we know. Uh, If you're a Christian here this morning, you will know what it is to have not received God's blessing in the way and at the times when you would have planned it. Uh, In seasons of pain, you may have been uh, provoked by other people. Perhaps you felt that nagging fear uh, yourself of, if God really loved me, this wouldn't be my story. If God really loved me, it'd be different, wouldn't it? Uh, Maybe you're here this morning, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. And you've seen other Christians going through tough times and you think if God really loved them, he wouldn't let that happen to them. So either he doesn't love them or he can't change their story and either way he's just not worth bothering with. If you're not a Christian here this morning, it's worth saying you still have to contend with lives that are not the way they're supposed to be. You've got to explain why it is you feel that way. And you've got to face up to the fact that in some ways... Your story is not the story you'd have written for yourself. See, whoever we are this morning... This story of Hannah is given to us to help us. Despite the slightly gloom and doom beginning... There are encouragements here. So, let's have a look together. Uh, But before we get to Hannah... It's worth just panning back a little bit... And thinking, where are we in the big story of the Bible? And really, if, if you get Hannah's situation then you get Israel's situation, if that makes sense. Because for Israel at this point, their life is not the way it's supposed to be. The story's not gone the way that they might have hoped. Uh, They've been rescued out of Egypt, they've been established in God's land, and it was supposed to be a picture of life enjoyed with God. Uh, Living God's way brings a blessing. Being with God, enjoying the good gifts that come from the giver of every good gift, it was supposed to be extraordinary. That was supposed to include, well, fertile land, fertile people. Uh, But Israel's history hasn't played out like that. Uh, The cause is summarised for us in that one verse uh, from Judges, which comes uh, immediately before uh, the book of 1 Samuel in in the Hebrew Bible. We're told in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Get the picture, instead of God ruling, everyone is doing their own thing in their own way, ruling their own lives, doing what is right in their own eyes. I think there's a caution for our modern world here, where we're encouraged to do what is right in our own eyes. Where we're told, well, just live as a king and queen of your own little kingdom without reference to the God who made us. See, often as not, we know, as we build those little kingdoms, we collide with other people. We get bruised as much as we get blessed. All too often, we discover it's the humble and the lowly who get the worst of that deal. And so it is, we're introduced to Hannah, who's getting the worst of that deal. And we're reminded that these big picture things, they're not abstract religious questions. It's not just a big picture problem, actually lives are broken and people are brought low. So where are the encouragements for the Hannahs of the world amidst a world where everybody is doing as they see fit what is right in their own eyes? What's going to turn Hannah's story around? What can turn our stories around? Is there any grounds for hope this morning? Let's have a look. Uh, Let's pick it up, verse 9. Actually, suddenly out of this year-by-year cycle, uh, the rut is broken. Once, we're told, when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. This is new. It's a clue. Something's about to happen. Verse 10. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She's in profound heartbreak, distress, her soul aches with the wrongness of her situation. And what does she do? Doesn't give up on God or distance herself from him? You might expect that. Doesn't blame God for her situation and, and vent her bitterness at him? You might expect that. Doesn't stoically accept her fate. Here's the beginning of her response. She goes to meet with God and she prays. It's worth just pausing and seeing the three things that come together in verse 10 because I think they are slightly surprising. She's indeed in anguish here, yet she goes to God, she prays to him and she weeps with him. Those things can come together. Some of us here will know the experience of praying and weeping. If you don't then sooner or later, you almost certainly will. Because the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And your story, however well it's going now, will hit bumps in the road. God doesn't promise to envelop his people in bubble wrap. There will be times when we will face deep anguish. And we'll need to respond as Hannah does. To bring that anguish to God, to pray with him, and to weep with him. But what I want us to see is that her prayer turns her life upside down. Uh, look with me at, at verse 11 what is she pray? to and God she says look on your servant's misery and remember me forget not your servants pause for a minute general knowledge quiz if I say one small step for man what, what event do we think of moon landing how about uh, they think it's all over it is now World Cup final 50 years ago there we go see there are are some phrases aren't they which are uh, tied to events to use the phrase cannot help but evoke the event they just just belong together this phrase uh, that Hannah uses look on your servant's misery remember me forget not your servant it's that kind of phrase In the Bible, it's tied to an event. It's tied uh, to the Exodus. To use these words evokes the Exodus event. God looked upon uh, the misery of his people. They cried out to him in slavery in Egypt because their life, their story wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And what did God do? Well, he remembered his promises. He came down, he acted... And their whole situation was turned upside down. See, as Hannah prays, she's using Exodus type language. She's evoking not a genie who will do what she wants. She's not wallowing in a kind of self-pity. She's remembering who God is and what he's like. She's remembering the kinds of things God does. He's a rescuing God with a track record of remembering his promises, coming down, intervening, and turning the situations of his people around and bringing blessing for it. That's what he does. So it makes sense to Hannah to pray to the God of the Exodus and say, look, this is the sort of thing you do, so please do this for me. That's worth saying. Praying like that is not something that comes easily or naturally to us, I don't think. We'd rather have a God who does our bidding, who we can tell him how and when to do the things that we want. But this that Hannah gives us here is biblical prayer. It doesn't say, fix it in my way with my timing. And it doesn't bend God to my will and my purposes. It says, you're the Lord Almighty remembers who God is. She remembers who she is. Is it there? She's his servant, not his master. She remembers how he works. She remembers what he promises and she says, can you do that again please? That's how she prays. And what happens when she does? Everything changes. Everything changes. See it there? After a false start, verse 17, Eli, who discovers a dignity flawed priest, blesses her. Verse 18, Hannah goes on her way. She eats something. She's no longer downcast. It's a reversal of verse 7. There, she couldn't eat. She was weeping. Now, she's eating and she's happy. Things are turning around. And so they worship and they go home. And she sleeps with her husband and the Lord remembers her. It's the Exodus words again just as she prays she has a son and she gives that son up to the Lord's service and she goes on to have many more children so her situation is turned upside down her story has a happier after, which is great it's all well and good but how does that help us actually because this was 3,000 years ago oh, this is in lots of ways Hannah is in many ways an example to us a faith in the midst of suffering, she doesn't give up on God, she doesn't blame him, she doesn't try and manipulate him to do what she wants with her timing. Her anguish causes her to hold more firmly to his promises. She's an example to us of how God can bring joy and blessing and turn stories around. All of that's true. But there's more going on than that, I think. But why does Hannah's story turn around? Why does the Bible, at a time when everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes, zoom in on Hannah? It's not to give a promise to all childless women. It would be wonderful if it was. But Hannah's not the only childless woman at that time. And we're told about her not because this is normal, but because it's unusual. Why are we told her story? Why is there any encouragement in this for us? It's not just because it ends happily ever after. It has much more to do with how and why Hannah's story is turned around. There's a clue for it in verse 19. The Lord remembered Hannah. That's the language of uh, the Exodus again. God remembering his people. It's, it's not that he's forgotten them. He's remembering his promises to them. Remembering is what God does before he intervenes in a powerful way. Before he turns things around for not just a person but for his people. And that's what God is doing through Hannah. There's a clue that there's something bigger going on here. For today I just want us to see two uh, truths that Hannah is taught from her experience. We'll see lots of things unpacked in the coming weeks uh, as we go through 1 Samuel. But two uh, truths we need in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. Truths we need as people whose lives are not going the way we would have written our stories. The first is straightforwardly that the Lord can turn any story upside down. The Lord can turn any story upside down. If you uh, flick over uh, uh, the sheet there with the Bible reading, uh, just have a look at the start of... uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, this is Hannah reflecting on what has happened to her. She says this, my heart rejoices in the Lord, in the Lord my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one beside you, there is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows. And by him deeds weighed. See, Hannah's grass. it's not just for her. The Lord can turn any story upside down. It's a lesson that's going to unfold through the book of 1 Samuel in all kinds of ways. The Lord knows. And he weighs. And ultimately it is his assessment that counts. To disdain his followers in their pain is arrogance. It's to presume a godlike knowledge of the end of the story. The Lord knows, as Hannah, and He weighs. He doesn't judge by outward appearances. He doesn't look at difficulties. He's no respecter of the status quo. He can turn any situation upside down. And so Hannah goes on, and she says, look, he fills the hungry, he, he turns the rich empty away, he brings death, he makes a life. He humbles, he exalts. He can turn any story upside down. Now in a sense, whoever you are, whatever your story so far, Hannah's reminding us, it's God who will write the final chapter. God will write the final chapter. And that is good news if your story hasn't gone the way you would have written it. If life for you or your family is not the way it's supposed to be and year after year you're burdened with the same disappointments, there's hope here, isn't there? It means appearances and family and health and wealth and all those things, they aren't the be-all and end-all anymore. It means any story can have a happily ever after. That's the good news. It's good news if you've come to the God of the Bible and you've asked him to remember you. You're trusting his promises the way Hannah did. It's good news. It's bad news if you're writing your own story still, doing what is right in your own eyes, building your own little kingdom or business or bank balance. Because it can all be taken from you by the God who will write the final chapter. The God who made you and everything else. the Lord can turn our stories upside down for better and for worse as we finish that I just want to draw your attention to the final line of Hannah's prayer it's verse 10 of chapter 2 this is the second truth it's not just that he can turn our stories upside down Hannah tells us the Lord's anointed will turn everything upside down She ends there by saying, he, the Lord, will give strength to his king and lift up the horn of his anointed. See, Hannah points forward to an anointed king. The Hebrew word is Messiah. We probably know it as the Greek word, Christ. God's king is coming, says Hannah. And with divine strength, he's going to turn the world upside down. Where he's opposed, that will be humbling. Where he's recognised that that will bring blessing. A couple of chapters later, Samuel, her son, is going to anoint King David. He'll turn Israel's story around for a time. And it reminds us that Jesus Christ will do that everywhere and forever. See, to a world where everybody does what is right in their own eyes, where God's rule is rejected or sidelined and his blessings are forfeited, Hannah says, God's king is coming. He's the one who will bring this rule of blessing. But for that to happen, he will need to bring an end to our self-rule, to our doing what is right in our own eyes. And that can happen as we align our stories to his, as Hannah does, by recognising God's king and ourselves as his servant, by asking to be remembered among those whom he saves. With that prayer comes the promise that with Hannah, our stories are turned around, our form can be exalted with his. See, Hannah is clear that her experience of being exalted by God is tied To the king who is exalted by God. She is sharing, if you like, in his happy ever after. That's what we've been thinking about over Easter. We share in the privileges of a king when we come to trust him. And if you're in any doubt as to what that happy ever after looks like, well, just look at the king of the turnaround. Look at how he can turn everything around. Walked down to the grave, then raised to eternal life at the Father's right hand. Humbled to death on a cross, and then raised to the divine throne room. This is the king of the turnerators. What's it like when he rules? Well, just read through a gospel. been reading through uh, one of the kids' Bibles with Sam. He's two. doesn't understand a whole lot. He understands, oh dear... He understands that there are times when life is not the way it's supposed to be. And he understands hooray. That there are times when it is. And there is joy and there is blessing. And he gets that in every encounter with Jesus Christ, when he comes, when you see him in the gospels interacting with people, when people come to him and they trust him, what happens? The odis become hurrahs. That's what happens. When the king rules, that's what happens when we come to him and we trust him. That's the encouragement for us this morning. We're not promised Hannah's happy ever after. We're promised something way better. We're promised a share in the king's happy ever after. And Hannah's story is just one more supporting piece of evidence that other people can be brought into that story. See, what will it look like for us as we live that out, as we trust those promises, as we follow that king as we share in his happy ever after? Well, in the present it will mean we'll be cautious about judging people by, by appearances. We'll be slower to mock the faith of those who are following God's promises. When we face difficulty, we'll be slower to run away from God or to revile him and much quicker to run to him and weep with him and pray to him and as we look to the future well there is always hope this is nothing that God can't turn upside down and there is nothing that will stop him bringing the blessing that he promises it's a great book we get glimpses of a wonderful king a king who doesn't work the way the world works he brings something greater than we would have imagined. And we're invited simply to come and to trust him. Hannah reminds us this morning he will come. And when he does, he'll turn all our stories upside down. Why don't we pause for a moment? And then I'll pray. Father, we live in a world which is not the way it's supposed to be. On a big scale. And in the scale of our own lives. We live in a world where we're doing what is right in our own eyes. And we're bringing brokenness and bruising as much as blessing. Father, thank you that your King will be exalted and he'll turn everything upside down. He will bring blessing. And we pray that we would be those who rejoice at his coming. Those who recognise what he's like and what we're like. Who come to him as servants, who trust in his promises, who are remembered by him. And so who share in his great happy ever after. Thank you, that's the promise held out to us in the gospel, that we can die with the Lord Jesus and be raised with him. We can share in that forever life with you. We pray that for Abigail this morning and for all of us. Amen. We're going to sing together now. We take to our feet and give thanks to the Lord. The song's are filled with Exodus type language too. The God who is good, whose love endures forever. Let's stand and say.